0: Good morning. How was Bible class today? Was Bible class good? You had a good class, good study, came away encouraged, edified, built up. You know more about the Bible than you did before you came. Maybe comments were made, someone said something you've never thought about before, or maybe you have thought about it, you just forgot it. You had a good Bible class. How about you young disciples this morning? Did y'all have a Bible, good Bible class? If you had a good Bible class, raise your hand. You're young disciples class. That's my class. <laughs> How about your kids? All you kids, if you're a kid, you had a good Bible class this morning, raise your hand. Raise your hand. You you're a teacher. You look around. Make sure your kid's raising the hand. If they're not, you need to step it up. It's good to be in a good Bible class, isn't it? Nothing better than a good Bible class. Nothing worse than a bad Bible class. When we come together, there's something that I want to remind us of this morning. It's a statement that we find in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul wrote about the church. He makes reference to the church of the living God. And when we think about the church, we don't think about a building, we think about people. People make up the church. When we say we go to church, we're really talking about going to an assembly of individuals who have come together to worship, to engage in scriptural worship, to offer acts of, of service, to study God's Word, and, and to fellowship, and to come closer to one another. But Paul also makes a reference to the church here as being the pillar and support of the truth. As you think about this church, as you think about where you fit into this congregation, do you see the pillar? And a pillar really does provide support. It's a foundation of the truth does that thought come to your mind as you think about the Baldwin Church of Christ what are the ways that we can capture that dimension of New Testament Christianity it's through effective Bible classes and I say effective because I, I want to put some word in front that takes the Bible class to a level that we understand. It's not just something that we're going to check off our list. It's not something we just feel like we have to do for the week. We want to come together and we want to spend our time together and we want it to be not efficient, but effective. We want it to make a difference in our lives. Now, I want everyone here to ask the question, what can I do? What can I do to make our Bible classes effective? There are three things, I think, that are very important as we think about effective Bible classes. The first of which is, you've got to have the right subject. Now, that may seem like we're just stating the obvious. Call me Captain Obvious. (laughs) Well, of course we need to have the Bible in our Bible classes, Otherwise, we're really not having Bible classes. Have you ever talked to someone who goes maybe to a another church and, and or maybe your, your kids have visited or, or maybe you visited and, and they come away and they say, you know, they call that a Bible class, but we never even opened our Bible. Or you ever go to a church and, and maybe there's a man, he stands up and he preaches and, and there's one or two Bible verses and, but that's about it. And the rest of it is just maybe what he thinks. A Bible class should be focused on the right subject, which is God's Word. And maybe we just need a little bit of a reminder because we do that. We do that here. I have no doubt about that. But maybe we need a reminder of why that is so important, why we have these Bible classes. Maybe if I've become a little bit slack in my focus or maybe my attendance, I want to get back to that, and I want to think about why it is that they have Bible classes, and I want to be a part of that. And let me just throw this out. I'm going to make a plug for the Wednesday night Bible class, which I'm teaching out here in the auditorium. I'm going to toot, toot. I guess I'll toot my horn. If, uh, if you haven't been coming to that Bible class, there's some really good students in that class. One of the reasons I come is because of what they teach me. And I wanted to encourage you to be a part of that. We don't have the workbooks yet, but we're just about to start 1 Peter. So it's a good time, it's a good place to jump in. Now, Seth, we are about to start 1 Peter, aren't right? we? Well, you, you finish Philippians. Seth, Okay. Seth, talk for me Wednesday night. I, I uh... I kind of jabbed him a little bit and made sure he knew that he had to finish that chapter. So we're going to start First Peter. It's a great time to jump in if you've not been a part of that Bible class program. Psalm chapter 119, verse 105. And I know you can, you can study at home. In fact, you can do most everything we do as Christians at home. But there's a problem with that. There's a lot of scripture that uses this little phrase, one another. And in order to have this one another-ness, new word. One anotherness, we kind of got to be together. We see the New Testament, the disciples, they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that look like? Why did they do that? Psalm chapter 119 and verse 105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In a world of darkness, I need some direction. In a world of chaos and frustration and, and even religious confusion, I need something to point me in the direction that I should go. And that's what we accomplish when we come together to study God's Word. We're letting that Word be that light, that that source of, of revelation that, that gives us some insight into what's in God's mind because that's how He has revealed His mind. And we're studying these scriptures Because we know it's going to point us in the right direction. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 6. In verse 44, Jesus said to them in verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him. Why does the Father do that? How does God bring people to himself? Is that some magical, mystical uh, bringing of people to himself? Like a magnet? Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That's why... We want to be a part of a good, effective Bible class, whether it's two people, 20 people, 200 people. We want to be a part of a group that's studying God's Word together because that's how we come to have fellowship with God. That's how we draw closer to God. And we should have a passion for that. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're not going to ask the question, well, should I go, should I go, or should I stay? We don't sing that song, do we? We want to be a part of that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, when Paul was writing to Timothy the evangelist and he was reminding him of of who he was reminding him of his childhood and the things that his mother and his grandmother had instilled within him. He wrote to that young man, he said, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. And you know you can't continue in the things you have learned to become convinced of if you haven't learned them and become convinced of them. knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. That's why we come together and study. That's why why I've... We have members here who make sacrifice to to prepare for Bible class, and and that's why they teach your children. Even when your children on Wednesday night are are all wired and fit to be tied, and and it's like herding cattle just to get them to sit still, and, and and they're teaching, and one's getting up and walking around the room, and... That's why we, we, we keep giving of ourselves to our Bible classes. Maybe when, when it appears that the students aren't preparing the way that we would love for them to prepare, we just keep doing it, don't we? It's because we know that we're giving them the wisdom, as Paul states it here, the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on he says in verse 16 that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's God breathed. It's, it's, it's God's breath. Have I told y'all about my sermon I'm I'm thinking about on, on inspiration, the inspired life. I'm going to illustrate it with balloons. I don't need to come every Sunday because that's coming. I'm going to have a balloon. And I'm going to blow it up. I may have my young disciples class just blow up a bunch of balloons. The difference between a balloon with no air and a balloon that has air. Think about that. That's the inspired life. You know, the word inspiration carries with it the idea of God breathe. Well, I want to be a balloon that is full of God's air. What a difference that's going to make in my life. It's not just another book. It's God speaking to me. All scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable. Accounting word, I like it. Profitable for teaching. We want to stay in the black. We don't want to go in the red. God's word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. That's why we study. So that we can leave this place and we can know the difference between a good work and a bad work. And if it's a good work, we're going to do it. We need the right subject. We need the right teachers. We need the right teachers. We need individuals who are devoted who are committed, who are diligent, who see God's word for what it is, who are willing to make that sacrifice and do whatever is is necessary to adequately prepare. I tell you, there is nothing worse than going into a Bible class, and it's obvious, he did not prepare. Well, I can't say she, because I can't go into a lady's Bible class. There's nothing worse than that. Boy, that gets under my cross. Whatever that means, that's what it does. It chafes me. Don't get up in a Bible class and say, well, I'm really not prepared for this. Well, then why are you up there? Give me somebody who is prepared for that. And it takes dedication to be that right teacher. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul wrote, To Timothy, to retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus, guard, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. It's amazing language, is it not? With respect to what God's word is. And he's instructing Timothy who was the teacher of that word. Don't change it. Don't think that you can make it better. Retain that standard. Guard it. It's a precious treasure. And when you are going to break unto others the bread of life, see it for what it is, you come prepared. You come excited. You come enthusiastic. That's another thing. That's another thing. Someone who's teaching the Bible and acts like they'd rather be doing something else. Boy, does that inspire you or what? Not. It doesn't. I heard a preacher once. This is one of those things that stuck with me, a preacher from Texas. Can you remember his name? Maybe he's a little chubby. (laughs) That's what I remember. But he was also enthusiastic. Boy, that guy was enthusiastic. He, he could have told me anything and I would have believed it because he was so fired up. But he said something. I really, it stuck with me as a preacher. He said a preacher who doesn't preach with enthusiasm ought to be fired with enthusiasm. He woke me up with that one. That was good preaching advice. Kind of like a friend of mine. Speaking of speaking of chubby preachers, and I probably shouldn't dwell too much on this, but, but he uh, had a friend, one, one of my college roommates. He used to always tickle me. He'd say, "You know, you know what I think about preachers who are too big, too fat. They get paid too much." Well, that was kind of mean. That's why I watch my weight. There's an inverse relationship with what you get paid and how much you weigh. I'm just kidding. We need enthusiastic teaching of God's Word. In this same book in chapter 2 and verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the Word of truth. The Bible is not the most difficult study in the world, but it is a challenging study. And if you're going to accurately handle the word of truth, you have to be diligent in your study and in your preparation. An effective Bible class is going to have the right teachers. And there's even some people skills involved in this. Look at verse 24 of this same chapter. The Lord's bondservant, and he's talking about those who who teach, must not be quarrelsome, but be... you, You put a guy in a class who will argue with a, teaching a Bible class, who will argue with a rock, and you've got a prescription for disaster. You've got to have a a little bit of a personality and interpersonal ability in order to be an effective teacher. Or was it? Must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, and you, know, you you need to look at that and see that, understand why James said let not many of you be teachers knowing that you're going to incur a stricter judgment. You know, a teacher or a preacher lives his life in a fishbowl. People look at you, they analyze, they scrutinize, they, they question. So, so you have to be able to be patient with wrong. Sometimes they'll make false accusations with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition that perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. You see what the, the good teacher does is keep his or her mind focused on the end product, the, the end result. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, If anyone teach or speak, let him teach or speak as it were the oracles or the utterances of God. That's why we need to talk about Bible things with Bible words. We need to talk about Bible things in Bible ways. If the Bible says we have to be baptized for the remission of sins, we need to teach that we need to be baptized for the remission of sins. We don't need to tell people that you're saved before you're baptized. If the Bible says you have to be baptized for the remission of your sins, well, you can't be saved until your sins are forgiven. So if anyone speak, let him speak as it were the oracles or the utterances of God. One other passage, which if you've listened to me preach long enough, you know it's one of my favorites. It's Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and, and it's, it's one of my favorites because it, it really speaks to the, the matter of what elders, pastors, evangelists, and teachers, their role their function within the local church. I really like it because he says that he gave gifts to men (laughs) earlier in the chapter, and the gifts are those offices. It's, It's those works. But then he states in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. That's what we're doing as teachers. We're equipping the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure, to the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We're studying, we're teaching because we want to present every man complete in Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And that happens. There is error that is taught in the religious world. It's a hard thing to, to say. I don't like saying it. But it is the truth. If that were not the case... Everybody would be practicing the same thing. There's only one Bible. I remember when I became a Christian at 18, and I, I heard that message. I thought, you know, that's the, that's the first time I've ever heard that. I went to 4th Street. Quentin McKay was preaching. I said, I've never heard that before. You mean there's one, there, there, there's one Bible, so there's one way? Wow, even I can get that. That makes so much sense. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Now, that's important too. Did you know that you're a joint? If you're a member of a local church, you're a joint by which every joint supplies. You need to be supplying something because you're one of those joints according to the proper working of each individual part. That's our goal. An effective Bible class keeps in the mind of the teacher, keeps that out front, whether it's stated or not. We're developing this we're developing individual disciples so that there will be the proper working of each individual part, and that causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Powerful, powerful statement. But then finally, here we go. Here we go. Why. I, I agree with the first point, I'm not a teacher, never will be a teacher in a Bible class. That's okay. That's okay. But if you're in a Bible class, guess what? You're a student. (laughs) It takes the right students. You can have, this was the article in the newsletter, by the way, if you want an overview of this sermon. If you have the right subject and the right teacher but you don't have committed students, that Bible class, it's just not going to be as effective as it could be otherwise. You're always going to have some who are committed, but there may be some who are not. Let me ask you this question. Acts 17. Paul went and preached. He was in Macedonia. And in the 17th chapter, we see that Paul went to Berea and it is said of them Acts 17 verse 11 these were more noble minded than those in Thessalonica and here's the reason that they received the word with great eagerness do you have a noble mind? do you receive the word with great eagerness? do you go to Bible class with great eagerness? examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were such. Do you study the Bible every day? Do you study every day? I mean every day. Well, if you were noble-minded like the Bereans, you would. That's what it says. That's a good Bible class, too, as someone who comes and they're well prepared, they, whether they make comments or not, you can, you can see it on their face. They're into it. I was so encouraged this past week. I went and uh, preached in this gospel meeting down at Sugar Creek. And, and I was impressed by a young lady who was there. Seventeen-year-old. We went over and ate at their house, and what was so impressive was how well she was. And you know, as a teacher and a preacher, you you see that. You know who's with you and who isn't. And 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 this congregation had a youth, youth group of one. She was it. She didn't have this huge group that was building her up and strengthening her. And, and she was somebody who was involved, played sports. She, Basketball team, softball team, soccer team. Involved in activities at school. But man, she, she was so interested in, in God's word and studying. And she brought people. She brought another girl with her who was uh, in one of those sports. I can't remember which one. And that, that young lady came every night and, and she, she came, I, I asked her, I said, you're you going to come back? She said, I'll come back. That's good preaching. But she was, they opened their Bibles. These are young people who are opening their Bibles and following along and studying God's Word. They were committed. People who understand what it is they're looking at, do that. I love what Paul said to the church at, Thessalonica, what he wrote to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. And and this is about how they received the word. This reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. you ever think about that when you come to Bible class? You know it's like uh it's like what I use to clean my wheels on my truck. I want my wheels black. And the black it's a little bit of shine on there. That's money in those big wheels. Got that BDS three and a half inch lift kit That Air Design body kit from California. Some wheels look good. You know what I'm saying? Guys do. Girls don't get it. <laughs> well, I have this tire shine that I spray on there. Spray that tire shine on there and, and just step back and it just does its work. Maybe. I don't even have to scrub. I just I just clean them a little bit, spray that tire shine on there, and gotta let it sit there for 15 minutes so it won't flat up on the truck, go back out there and those things are clean and looking good. That's what God's Word does in a good and honest heart. You, you spray it in there and you just step back and you watch it work. Can't understand it? Don't have to understand it. I'm not a, I have to understand it kind of guy. I don't, I don't care what's in that tire shine. I don't have to understand how it works. All I want to know is the, the, the outcome. I just want to see a good, good outcome. I don't have to understand how God's word works. But I know that it does. It performs its work in those who believe So you Bible class teachers, think about that when you teach Bible class. Those who come to Bible class, you think about that. That's why you're here. You, you want that word. To clean that heart and make it shine, you will have to understand how that happens. Hebrews chapter five, Paul—well, I think it was Paul. <laughs> Hebrews chapter five, Paul, the author is writing. Let's get past that. The author is writing people who are becoming weak in their faith. Imagine that, weak in their faith. And he's explaining how Jesus was a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and these were Jews. That's an Old Testament story. They should have been familiar with that story. And he wrote to them concerning him, we have much to say, that is Melchizedek, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. They needed some tire shine. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. This is the person who is a committed student, who examines the Scriptures daily to see whether or not those things are so. That is the one who comes to see that this is solid food and who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You recognize the difference between good and evil because that word... Has been planted in your heart And it builds your faith Romans 10 verse 17 Faith comes by hearing And hearing by the word of God Would you say your faith is perfect Mine's not I still waver in my faith From time to time Well, when I study God's word When I teach God's word When you teach me God's word Then that faith grows Are you a part of an effective Bible class. Expect the Bible to be taught. Expect the teacher to be devoted. And then you just be committed. Committed. Do something with your life. It's going to affect you eternally. Commit to studying God's This lesson is yours. If you're here today and you've never obeyed the gospel, we're going to sing a song of invitation now to encourage you to do that very thing, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you're willing to confess that faith, if you will repent of your sins and then be baptized to have those sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, then God's Word in your heart will change your life forever for eternity. If you're subject to the call. Please come with stand and say